Hey, Jan, what are we uh, what are we going to talk about today? Well, we've got some fixed wireless on the agenda today, talking about CBRS and Frontier, as well as Starry, another fixed wireless play. We're also going to talk about uh, Verizon and AT&T, uh, possibly putting the brakes on some 5G build-outs. And we've also got a little news about Overbuilder Grande and some updates from Dish Network. All right, a little bit of here, a little bit of there. Let's uh, Let's get into it. You've got mail. This is Andy and John Talk Telecom with Andy Netzel and John Rewe. Hi, you're now logged into Andy and John Talk Telecom. I am Andy Netzel. I'm John Rewe. John, how are you doing uh, this holiday season? Oh, I'm doing great. Feeling uh, feeling festive. Got the little Christmas tree in the office here. So, you know, how about you? I'm, I'm good. In the Christmas I'm, spirit? I'm in the Christmas spirit. It uh, got cold here this weekend. So it feels mm-hmm. a little bit more like Christmas, although on, on uh, around Christmas it should be like 80 degrees. So not really the, <laughs> not really the same, but at least this weekend it's, uh, it's going to feel a bit like Christmas. So it's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas, but not look a lot like Christmas. Correct. Houston. Correct. Yeah. Pretty much, and I'm sure it's uh, the same your way. Well, it totally is. Um, I'm planning to go out of town for Christmas. Might have my first ever white Christmas, but down here in uh, first Central ever. Texas, uh, that is a rare sight indeed. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I saw the the map. I think it was yesterday. It looked like the clean air was supposed to get snow, but I don't know if they ended up. To, you're you're up more that way, so I'm mm-hmm. assuming you didn't get any. Nope, any no flurries? snow, no flurries, nothing of the sort thus far. All right. Well, as you know, we're talking about flurries. We're talking about you know starry nights. You had uh, something, yeah. You like that? Wow, that was good, Andy. That was good. <laughs> you wanted to talk about starry. We've talked about them before. Uh, if you don't recall, they are a fixed wireless provider uh, focusing on urban areas. Wanted to beam down their transmissions to uh, to towers built essentially on top of apartment buildings. Um, so, what did you want to talk about with them? Well, this is one we've been keeping an eye on for a while. The their uh, model is kind of interesting. You know, typically when we talk about fixed wireless, we think of rural areas that are hard to reach uh, economically with fiber or, or uh, some of the legacy um, types of networks. Um, you know, and then we've also heard and talked at length about Verizon's uh, sort of home internet service with millimeter wave but starry is doing something definitely different what they're just to kind of recap their model is they've got um towers uh throughout a urban area uh that would be like your radios and then they'll have like a transmitter or i'm sorry a receiver on top of apartment building or whatever building is being served and then from that uh receiver which receives a wireless signal you'll then feed the wiring internally. So the customers in the apartment building are going to have, um, you know, the same sort of wired uh, sort of connection at a wall outlet that they might be familiar with. But the way the rather than having a fixed wiring um, or fiber that feeds that building, it's actually fed wirelessly. So um, as you know, if a Verizon, each individual apartment or each individual home has their own little antenna to receive um, in this case, it's just one big antenna and it's, you know, as if, um, like traditional cable, they'll just plug into the outlets and the walls within the apartment building. Yeah. So in, in, uh, in the Verizon solution, 
you know, you'd put your receiver on the window or whatever, and then that in turn is a wireless gateway feeding inside the house um, or may have a Ethernet outlet. I'm not sure. Um, but here you're going to have a traditional wiring. It's just the actual feed to that building is going to be wireless. So it's a cool concept. Um, primarily in urban areas, they started out in Boston and they've expanded, I think, in six areas. They announced Columbus, Ohio earlier this year. Um, and they have, um, you know, big aspirations to cover more of the U.S. They just released their Q3 operational update uh, here in December, um, and they have got some pretty good numbers to report. Uh, customer relationships reached 55,078, up 86.2% year over year, including net additions of 7,292 subs in the quarter, or customer relationships. Um, total serviceable households up to 1.5 million, 40% uh, increase year over year. And um, let's see, they got, well, they have a, a Starry Connect program to reach the underserved, and they've got um, reached more than 47,000 units of public and affordable housing. So they're doing a lot of cool things, too, to try to bridge the digital divide in urban areas, um, which is a place we don't talk about as much, you yeah. know, as we focus on rural build-outs. All the, all the federal funding seems to be going to the, the rural areas. Yeah, that's where the excitement is, but you still have a whole, you know, like we talked about that infamous photo of the kids sitting on a sidewalk outside of a Taco Bell in California doing their homework. Like it's, uh, it's very important in urban areas as well. Um, you know, so, you know, 50 bucks a month for high speed internet, not a big deal for a lot of people, but for some people that's, uh, you know, not doable. So, um, anyways, what's new with Starry? Well, they've just uh, announced the Gen 2 technology. Uh, which uses a millimeter wave in a 24 gigahertz band, uh, and it enables more capacity and range at a lower cost, 670% uh, lower cost. To yeah, so this new Gen 2 technology is 670% lower cost to deploy. Um, and according to the press release from Starry, uh, this unique point multi-point design enables the company to provide gigabit-capable coverage to a community with dozens, not thousands, of Starry base, Titan base station sites. So they're saying that they have so much more range with this new technology instead of having to put thousands of, you know, essentially um, figure cell towers or, or if you were to compare it to a cell uh, tower deployment, um, they can just put dozens of base stations out there and cover a community. It, it seems like a direct shot at uh, Verizon and their millimeter wave technology, which, which has a lot... Um a lot of bandwidth, but a lot less range. Um, and we you know requires the deployment of, of, of a lot more radios than what Star is saying they can do here. Well, yeah. And in Verizon's scenario, you've got to have really clear line of sight and not much. Uh, I mean, even <clears throat> the propagation characteristics aren't that great. Even, you know, just having a tree in front of your window can hurt the quality there. Whereas Starry, um, claims to have some really advanced propagation uh, characteristics and able to reach really broad and far um, and provide multi-gigabit service. So essentially what they're saying is that they can uh, now build out coverage for a medium-sized city in less than a year um, for a fraction of the cost of a, you know, fiber to the home, fiber to the unit build out. Because literally the infrastructure is... It's much simpler. I mean, obviously, you've got to have fiber to your uh, base stations, uh, but you know, typically, if they're putting that on top of a building on a tower, I mean, that's probably already an asset that may be fed 
um, by, um, you know, for a cell, existing cell um, radio or something like that. So then you're going wirelessly to all these different buildings. And they also have now a home, um, like a single family home receiver. Mm -hmm. So, nice. yeah, so they're, they've got some big goals here and sounds like they're slashing uh, the cost of deployment and time to deployment. Yeah. Medium sized city, less than a year and, and for less cost, that's, that's very attractive. So if, if, you know, we have, you know, people who are, uh, financially, you know, astute and, and are looking to capitalize off this in, in their own way is, is Staria a, a public company? Are they private? How are they, where are they getting this funding and backing from? Yeah. Funny. You should ask. So, um, back in October, Staria made a big announcement, uh, that it was going public, uh, by way of, uh, of SPAC, um, the special, uh, uh, what is it? Special purchase access vehicle, uh, or stock, something, something like, like that. that, whatever. I just read them as SPACs. I know what a SPAC is, but yeah. anyway, uh, it's, it's a merger with uh blank check firm, first mark horizon acquisition corp, uh, N, And this deal, uh, values a broadband service provider at 1.66 billion. And Starry will be traded under the symbol STRY after the merger, which should complete uh, toward the end of Q1 2022. So we're looking at people being able to go into their their Fidelity, their Robinhood, their Vanguard, whatever they use, and actually trading the Starry um, publicly in really in the next three months, sometime in the next three months. Yeah, I figure I'd probably dabble in that a little bit. I, I think, you know, the story of Starry is pretty compelling. I think they have a cool model. And if it unfolds the way it they project it to, I think we'll have a really, um, I think a disruptive and, and uh, uh, play in the market um, where wireless can compete on a pretty good footing with fiber or. And, and, and as a disclaimer, this is, this is not financial advice. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but talking here, you're just, just spitballing as it were. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could see some people probably say starry to the moon. Um, we'll see what happens. We'll see if, if wall street bets, uh, gets a hold of it and it becomes one of their, their darling stocks, but either oh, way, that, I don't know. That could go one of two ways, right? <laughs> right. Absolutely. But things are, <laughs> things are looking up, uh, for, for star and it's no pun intended. Exciting, <laughs> no pun intended. It's an exciting way for, uh, um, for an organization to deliver, um, you know, broadband and inter internet access to urban areas in, uh, in really a different way that we haven't seen too much propagation of up to this point indeed all right andy well speaking of fixed wireless you've got a little story about some new frontiers in the wireless yeah so so frontier communications um you know they, they've made uh, a lot of noise and they, they revealed their plans uh, about their big fiber build-out plans you know fiber to the home fiber to the premises uh but kind of unannounced below the radar they're looking at playing in, um, in fixed wireless internet technologies. So in 2020, Frontier built a fixed wireless LTE network in the uh, CBRS spectrum, which is that 3.5 gigahertz spectrum um, uh, in, across 500 cell towers. And today uh, they count roughly 8,500 customers across those uh, 500 cell towers. So, um, with their expansion into the fixed wireless, into this the CBRS band, um, you know, it's interesting because they bid on a lot of CBRS auctions or CBRS licenses within the FCC auction last year, but they didn't win anything. Um, so they're, they're the first big customer of the Federated 
wireless's new spectrum exchange and it just appears to be this this exchange where telecom companies can go on and and buy certain spectrums that were you know one at previous auctions or, or um, have not been auctioned off yet uh so uh the the spectrum exchange allows them to potentially purchase three and a half gigahertz or licenses on the three and a half gigahertz CBRS spectrum so with their uh they're really their dabblings in, in this fixed wireless i call it below the radar because they recently had a quarterly conference call uh and fiber fiber and frontier communications executives um you know they discuss their ambitious fiber the home plans their fiber the premises plans and really their roadmap um post bankruptcy uh they're they're going to expand to 10 million fiber locations by the 2025 these these big ambitious plans um much like many companies across the the country uh ambitious plans with with fiber rollouts but they made no mention of fixed wireless and they're, they're, they're dabbling of you know, 500 cell towers and 8,500 customers growing at 20 customers a day. They made no mention of that, specifically saying Frontier is a fiber first company and our focus remains on building fiber to 10 million locations by uh, 2025. But they do go on to say, in some cases, we use fixed wireless technology to deliver broadband to a small portion of our customer base in rural communities. So, you know, they're not completely hiding that they're getting into fixed wireless and they're saying, hey, fiber doesn't like we've talked about, fiber doesn't make sense to go everywhere, and especially in some rural communities. But um, you know, it just just goes to show that yes, you know, we talk a lot about fiber. Fiber is important, but there are going to be a lot of gaps where um, you know fixed wireless is going to fill in um, for for fiber when it's not economically or, or financially feasible to get in into these rural areas. Uh, we talked about CBRS auctions, C-band auctions. A lot of major companies getting in. Uh, it's just surprising to see Frontier get into this, you know, without winning any CBRS licenses from from the auction last year. You know, so it sounds like they were. Um, this was on their radar. They they planned to invest in fixed wireless. Didn't like the prices they were seeing at the auction, but it was important enough to them to go find the alternate vehicle for acquiring those those licenses so that they could go into this space. Yeah. And that alternate vehicle being the federated wireless is, you know, new spectrum exchange. So, you know, this was, this was news to me. I'd say, Hey, you didn't win anything at the auction. You know, you're just kind of SOL, you know, maybe you'll, you'll bid on some, you know, spectrum licenses the next time there is an auction, but it appears that, you know, there, there are organizations that bought up some spectrum leases and are now looking to, to offload them either because they don't want them or they're not going to use them or they just bought them in order to turn them around and, and make some money off of them. Uh, so that, sure. that was something new and, and something interesting that, you know, I, we should have anticipated it was going to happen, but I didn't know is is such a free market with these <laughs> licenses like that. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Frontier probably going to continue to expand slowly into the, the fixed wireless where it makes sense in rural areas but still their, their main focus is on their fiber to the premise rollout, which they recently raised $1 billion for. Um, but yeah, definitely something to, to just, just keep an eye on, you know, if um, they'll do fixed wireless where it makes sense and you know, where it doesn't make sense for fiber. Uh, and, you know, it just goes to, sh- I guess it's a, a kudos to frontier coming out of bankruptcy that they're uh, you know, they're not putting all their eggs into one basket into the, the proverbial fiber basket. Yeah. So, what did uh, tell me again? How many customers did you say they have on this uh, network thus far? Eight thousand five hundred uh, from five hundred cell towers, and they're they are saying that they're uh, 
that customer base is growing just for fixed wireless at 20 customers a day. Well, I mean, I would think that with 500 towers, uh, the, the capacity for that network is significantly larger than 8,000 customers. So, so yeah, with that kind of growth rate, I mean, they've got some ways to go, but I think it's interesting that, you know, they've invested that much money into it clearly, um, that they see viability there. And I think there's a little bit of, uh, after the, um, Ardoff awardees, a lot of them were saying they were going to provide um, fixed wireless um, gigabit speeds via fixed wireless, and that's kind of gotten some bad press because if people are saying, oh, that can't be done, you got to do fiber. And I think there's a little bit of concern with fixed wireless um, not living up to its billing. So I wonder if they're, and surely we're just speculating here, but I wonder if that is one reason why. Uh, Frontier might not want to tout that uh, sure. so boldly because, uh, you know, keep the expectations low, I suppose, or keep people from worrying that they're going to talk a big game about fiber, but then, you know, and lean, lean on uh, a, a cheaper fixed wireless rollout. Yeah, I mean, AT&T, T-Mobile and Verizon are all expanding their fixed wireless Internet services. Um, there's really one, Ch Chantel, they canceled their plans to offer fixed wireless Internet um, to reportedly tens of thousands of Americans, but, and, and they're focusing only on, um, their, their fiber network. But if you, you know, you look at the big players, AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, they're all expanding their, their fixed wireless internet. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, I think they are, um, uh, for, for, for two reasons, one, don't put all your eggs in one basket and, and two, it just does not make financial sense to put fiber in some of these rural areas. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, you kind of said something interesting there about not putting all your eggs in one basket. I mean, there does seem to be some promise for uh, really high performance uh, of fixed wireless networks um, on the horizon and even in like deployments like that red zone uh, deployment in uh, Maine right now that's gotten a little bit of press where it is actually delivering these kind of speeds uh, successfully. And so if you're um, into fiber and that's, you know, the cutting edge right now is you got to be putting fiber in the ground, but probably is good to hedge your bets and have a play. Like for instance, you know how cable one has uh, invested in uh, whisper and into next link, which obviously next link, mm -hmm. next link is a huge art off recipient and um, very aggressively building out both fiber and wireless. So, so they have a play there. It seems like fixed wireless is becoming part of the portfolio for, for just about uh, all of the big players at some level. Yep, it's. Uh, I think we'll continue to see, uh, you know, as we hear fiber, 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 and uh, rollouts for that. I think we'll continue to see the rollouts for fixed wireless internet as well until it proves that, uh, you know, until it proves otherwise. Hey, John, you want to talk a little bit about overbuilding uh, down in our area, down in the southwest, specifically in Texas? Um, well, what what's going on with overbuilding? Well, I mean, it reached my uh, front door actually the other day. So overbuilding is something that's been going on since. It's well, yeah, it is. So it's, you know, this is something that's been going on uh, for years. I mean, b dating back into the cable days, um, kind of in the earlier days of Doxus, where someone saw the opportunity to come into an area where, you know, let's say the, the incumbent cable TV provider, let's say it was a Time Warner, was um, had the franchise agreement. They kind of had it on lock and then someone says, you know, we can actually build our own network, overbuild and steal enough of your customers to make a business case. And so that has been going on since then and it remains a, a viable strategy and I think has really um, got legs again right now. Are I was, there, 
I mean, you, you've been in the, the cable industry. Are there any, so obviously double over overbuilds, you know, another company comes in, are there triple or quadruple overbuilds? Do those kind of situations exist? Yeah, they do. I mean, in Austin, I mean, not so much, it kind of depends on where you're at, but like conceivably you could be in a place in Austin where you have the option of, um, Grande time, uh, spectrum and Google fiber potentially. Um, and AT&T. Uh, I don't know if there's anywhere where all four of them are present. Um, and it certainly is more in a single family setting, not as much in the MDUs, because although, um, you know, Grande is very aggressive in the MDU space, and as is everyone else in this area, um, you don't necessarily have multiple inside a building just because of the all the wiring and stuff and access for all the different providers. But you'll do have uh, double sometimes. So, yeah, I mean... Uh, in Austin, so you have all those providers, probably not all going to coincide in one spot, but you may have a choice of three in, in some areas, I would think. Uh, in Georgetown, where I just recently moved, uh, we have Suddenlink, uh, but not for much longer will that be the only option. Um, I was on in my driveway the other day, and a, a fielder was walking down the street uh, with a wheel writing down footages and I'm thinking, hmm, that sure looks like a fiber walkout, but uh, I don't know that anybody's going to build this out. And uh, the guy noticed that I was kind of watching him. So he uh, said, hey, how's it going? And I asked him what was going on. He's like, yeah, we're uh, getting ready to, uh, you know, we're surveying for a fiber build out. He's working for one of the big uh, surveying or engineering firms down here. And um, one of the biggest overbuilders uh, that's just come up out of practically out of nowhere, I'd say, over the last couple of years is Vexus out in uh, Lubbock. Um, and they have made some big announcements this year and even recently about their expansion plans where um, essentially they're going in, they're overbuilding a lot of markets that were legacy suddenly, but they've kind of gone beyond that. So um, they're building right now Lubbock, Amarillo. Um, they're, they announced they're overbuilding Tyler, Texas, and now they're going into Louisiana. They're going to, um, build down in Lake Charles area. Um, and then they've also announced, um, Albuquerque and Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, and their most recent one is down in Laredo, Texas, uh, down in the Valley. So very aggressive fiber overbuilding and, and just kind of, um, adds fuel to the fire of the idea that, um, you know, there's a business case to be made for overbuilding fiber. Um, where there is existing service, you know, they're going to be overbuilding in all those different areas. They're going to be overbuilding uh, Suddenlink in some cases, um, Charter, Charter uh, Comcast, and Vive. So um, they they see a business case. They're bringing the heat. Well, we uh, we are definitely proponents of consumer choice. So no uh, no tears shed here. The more choices consumers have, you know, not always the better, but at least in this case, having more than just one. Um, hey have to use our service you know tough luck that's uh that's, that's all you got um competition is good yeah and even just to kind of keep hammering home um uh, my area because there's so much growth in central texas and, and obviously everywhere in texas as you know um ubiqu- uh, ubiquity networks is building a announced they're building an open uh, open fiber network in georgetown as well and i think they've already got some in austin so that's just gonna add yet another uh play especially on the commercial side but also a backbone on which other you know residential providers possibly could tie into andy one of the things we talk about the most is 5g rollouts and obviously 
two of the biggest players are AT&T and Verizon. Uh, we would assume nothing other than that they're pursuing that full bore uh, so that they can earn those bragging rights of having the nation's most fast and broad 5G network. But you're saying somebody's pumping the brakes. What's going on? Yeah, so uh, we talked about this a little bit on the last episode that the FAA was concerned about certain 5G rollouts in the C-band spectrum, uh, you know, interfering with some aircraft uh, aircraft equipment and really uh, degrading the safety of, of flights. And so they asked Verizon AT&T, like, hey, you know, can really, can you just delay your 5G rollout? So both companies, AT&T and Verizon, agreed to uh, really just postpone their rollout for a month. They were going to roll out the C-band spectrums on December 5th, and they've agreed to wait until January 5th as more negotiations, talks, testing, and all that go on, um, you know, to make sure that the airplanes stay in the sky like they should. Uh, so, yeah, the, the, you know, the FAA wanted to, they were uh, prepared to hand out official mandates that would limit uh, pilots' use of certain automated cockpit systems, like ones that uh, assist with landings in inclement weather. Uh, you know, they wanted to put these limits on there to avoid you know, we'll call it so-called potential interference from wireless towers uh, that were transmitting 5G signals in in the specifically in the C-band spectrum, and they were they were saying these limits could disrupt passenger and cargo flights in nearly 50 metro, metropolitan areas where the towers are located. So you can imagine, you know, Atlanta, Chicago, all, all the major metropolitan metropolitan areas where we have large airports, uh, you know, would have potentially disrupted not only. Uh, commercial flights, but and passenger flights, but cargo flights as well, which is never good during the holiday and Christmas season, right? Um, never. So the FAA uh, and the FCC they issued a, a joint statement and they said aviation safety and technology leadership are national priorities, and I add parenthetically, which they should be. <laughs> and with today's announcement, these companies have demonstrated their commitment to both. So it, it seems like AT and T and Verizon kind of acquiesced and. Um, you know, they're going to pause it for a month, work more with the FAA and the FCC to ensure that, uh, you know, the 5G signals in the C-band spectrum don't interfere with uh, assisted landing systems with altimeters and, and those kind of things. Um, I continue to be surprised that we had these auctions and deployed this spectrum with, you know, before this came up. Like, did the FAA not know about this before the auctions? I think a, I think a lot of it's just untested and 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 it's theory. So part of it is um, let, me, let me get the because I want to get the numbers correct here. So C band spectrum, right, which we've talked about, they covered a section of radio frequencies between three point seven and four point two gigahertz. Now some airplane equipment operates between four point two and four point four gigahertz, right? So there is separation there, but it's a it's a fine line. Um, so you know the FAA and airline. Um, Industry groups are, are concerned if you know it bleeds over past 4.2 for you know whatever reason a mistake uh, it could mm-hmm. interfere with those um, with, with that airplane 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 equipment. Uh, there are wireless industry trade groups uh, that that are saying um, you know there's active 5G networks using the same spectrum band that 3.7 to 4.2 gigahertz uh, in 40 different countries and and they have not had issues with. Aviation, aviation safety in uh, you know in, in those countries. So, 
there is separation, you know, 3.7 to 4.2 is the C-band spectrum. And then airplane equipment operates between 4.2 and 4.4 gigahertz. And I, I should note only some airplane equipment. So there is some separation, but I think there is, it's just not enough for people to feel comfortable. And so they called for this pause of the, the rollout for a month, mm. probably do some more testing, talk a little bit more about it and, and get everybody on the same page, which, you know, is, is the preferred option to uh, an aircraft incident happening. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, the safety of our airplanes uh, is a prime uh, importance to most air travelers. So, uh, you know, I think we're all on the same page there. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's, it, we definitely want a clear ruling on this. It seems like you just need like a little bit of a guard band. I, I don't know the exactly how close the spectrum is, but if one ends at 4.4 and one starts at 4 or 4.2 and the other one starts at 4.2, you I mean, just carve out a little guard band in between yeah. there. Maybe the maybe the FCC can give up a little, FAA can give up a little, and get a little buffer there. I don't know. Yeah, and and the FAA is you know working with these companies. They've they've asked for um, specific data about the location of these five G towers, the power and the angles of of where the um, you know the, the the radio waves or the bands are going to you know go out from the tower, so they can determine whether it's going to interfere with uh, aircraft on final approach. On the mm-hmm. glide paths, and you know there are, and not just aircraft equipment, but on the ground, you know there's things like NDBs and ADBs. There's, um, uh, I guess you know radar and and antennas that help guide aircraft down uh, towards mm-hmm. the airport and for for IFR um, flight. Uh, so yeah, I mean there there's a there's lots to deconflict here, and you know I think they're just going through the process of deconflicting. Mm-hmm. Well, you know maybe at worst uh, the they'll keep some of the higher powered five or CBR stuff out of the flight path so that the approaches are good. And you'll add that to your list of uh, things that are less desirable about living in the flight path uh, or approach <laughs> to an airport. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. You won't have quite as fast internet, That's um, right. but you probably don't want to live near an airport anyway. No. All right, let's go from one five G conversation with, with T-Mobile or sorry, with Verizon AT&T and go to uh, another one with dish network. Yeah, so to round out today's episode, uh, update about Dish Network, quietly building their 5G network uh, in Las Vegas. And Viva uh, Las Vegas. That's right. And, uh, you know, they're having fun over there, I'm sure. Um, Signals Research Group recently published results of a drive-out test of the new uh, Vegas uh, Dish Network, um, 5G network. Uh, they use a fancy Rodian Schwartz um analyzer to check signal strength and find out which bands they're operating in and so on and so forth and um they just they did a day's worth drive out and they found the results to be a little underwhelming actually oh no yeah uh of course you know we're still kind of in a beta test it's not you know kind of gone live or public uh in a, in a big way yet but um yeah they said that it's not laser or not uh super fast and um but it's there and uh you know the build is <laughs> the build is continuing. Um, so what did uh, Dish say about that? Well, uh, Charlie Ergen said, certainly speeds are important, uh, but he said that not everybody needs a Lamborghini that goes 280 miles an hour. I think as long as we make something that goes 100 miles an hour, we'll be in pretty good shape. So I think we'll look at consistency. If you're buying a Lamborghini, you want to go more than 100 miles an hour. Oh, yeah, exactly. I don't want to buy a Lamborghini that... Money has a four cylinder you know in it that you know Ford edge can go 100 miles an hour well exactly an eighth of what a lamborghini costs i mean where's the bragging rights 
So absolutely. But so it's interesting because Dish is, as we've talked about, you know, they're going, they're building out a, a pure 5G network mm-hmm. from scratch. So they're starting, they, they chose Las Vegas as the first deployment site. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting yeah. enough. And, uh, but it's not just not up to par. Uh, no, but I mean, you know, I think we recognize that it's not done yet. It's a work in progress, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, probably not the stellar, you know, rollout or first report, uh, that would have been more exciting or maybe made more of a splash for dish, but, um, are they still, are they just testing or are they actually subscribing customers? Um, I, I mean, I think there's some customers on the network, but I don't know that there's public customers yet. Um, I'd have to have to circle back on that. Uh, I think what I read that they had like employees using it and stuff, but, um, makes sense. Yeah. Um, so just kind of, I had the opportunity to talk to a contractor, uh, recently that's, um, doing some of the, uh, 5g deployment for dish and he's doing work in an undisclosed metro area so i can't really say if it's in vegas or outside of there but uh nonetheless uh he indicated that dish is keeping him busy and i think one of the question marks people had you know they've been really uh dish has been kind of following their own path with regard to uh the hardware and equipment they're using um with going with the open ran solution um i think there's been some question as to what radios they're using but a contractor was able to confirm that they are receiving fujitsu radios for installation and these deployments so um that's what um that's what i know so far from uh from the ground level anyways but it's going to be interesting to see so you know we're seeing a lot of consolidation now right both on the contractor side and and on the the provider side you know other larger companies buying up smaller companies for their capabilities and manpower etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know this year they want to build out a a nationwide five peer 5g network, you know, are they going to get 25% done and then sell it out to somebody? Um, you know, we, we saw that, you know, years past in the cable industry as well. Um, it'll just be interesting to see and keep an eye out for which, you know, AT&T, Verizon, Dish, T-Mobile, are they all going to be viable? Are they, we're going to have four, you know, nationwide 5g networks, or is there going to be some consolidation here in the, the, not distant future, but not near future, called the midterm future. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, you know, kind of like these overbuilders like uh, Grande or Vexus are seeing like, okay, well, there's already a, you know, a couple of great options. We're going to go ahead and build our own, uh, you know, fiber to the home network on top of that because we believe that we can uh, steal enough customers to make this a viable enterprise. And I guess Dish feels the same way. Uh, I think that they have... um, they think they're going to do it in a different way uh, by not having to maintain legacy, you know, 4G networks or just starting clean slate 5G. Uh, they think Open RAN is going to solve some problems for them, and uh, I think that they think their business model is leaner. And I think that they believe that they can make an impact. So yeah, are they building it to sell out? I don't know. Um, they've seemed in statements to be kind of uh, you know interested in you know walking tough and saying, hey, look what we're going to build. Um, but yeah, I think that's a great question. I think the other um, issue we're going to run into, and you know, as we did um, in the past, where you know you had your cable internet provider, and then you had the legacy phone company, and the phone company had the phone, and uh, you had your internet and your video from the cable company, and then your legacy phone company put in fiber, and now you've got an option: do you want to go with Time Warner or AT and T? Um, I'm just using Time Warner as an example. Um, and so they, the phone company started playing in the same space as 
the cable TV providers. So now both of those like cable TV companies are going into mobile. Yep. Fixed wireless and your legacy phone companies are going into fixed wireless. And now you've got your um, Verizon's and such going for a fixed wireless solution at home. T-Mobile going for a fixed wireless solution at the home. They're basically all heading into the place where they're all going to go head to head. Like it's, they're all providing the same service. And I think we're still a little ways away from mobile um, supporting the kind of data that that landlines support. But um, I mean, they're, they're, we're headed for a convergence. So if there's going to be, I mean, I'm just speculating. I don't know if, you know, Dish is going to get bought out by um, AT&T or T-Mobile or, or if they'll all, all four of them will survive or if you know you see a merger or an acquisition somewhere between a you know a mobile provider and a traditional cable company you know or something like that it's going to be interesting to see of course where that M&A space uh, kind of goes um, as these different these providers with different lineages end up competing head to head before we get off of it last time you were in Vegas and your favorite hotel to stay at well, last time I was in Vegas was actually a long time ago. Uh, uh, let's see, it was 2011, 2011, and uh, we stayed in the MGM. It was pretty nice, and um, went to. Well, I'm just adding a little bit. I went to the um, some kind of vodka bar where they had like a cold room where you could put on like Russian, uh, like army like coats for the Siberian campaign or whatever or whatever and you could put on these different like military hats or like all kinds of crazy Russian Siberian garb and then take shots of vodka. I didn't go in there but they had that. I just nice. So what about you? Oh man, I, I have not been to Vegas since I was fifteen. So I was like two thousand three. So wow. I also stayed at the MGM. Obviously did not go to a vodka bar be, say, being I was fifteen. Good. But I do remember because uh, I, I was 15, so we went to like all the arcade and stuff. And I do remember the New York, New York being cool. They had a cool arcade. They had that roller coaster. They had slices of pizza and steam coming up from the sewers. But again, that was <laughs> tw- almost 20 years ago. So wow, I have no good recommendations, but I do need to go back. I, I need to go sometime. Yeah, go check out the Dish Network 5G deployments. Uh, do a, Get us a report from the firsthand streets. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, before we get you guys out of here, John, remember the name of that bar he went to in case y'all are in Vegas and want to check it out. Well, I mean, it was there in 2013 or whatever, 2011, whenever it was. It's called the Red Square. So it definitely had a uh, hammer and sickle theme going on there, um, which seems appropriate for vodka. But anyways, if it's still there, it was pretty cool. Go check it out. Go check it out. But John, hey, I appreciate it. Uh, Talk a lot of good things today. 5G overbuilds a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I appreciate it. Hope you have a good rest of your weekend. Yeah, you too. And uh, I guess this is going to be the last one before Christmas. So Merry Christmas to everybody. Um, Merry Christmas. And Happy New Year. And Happy New Year, indeed. Bring on 2022. <laughs> That's right. Make, make it better than 2021. Yeah, well, what they say about 2021? Marginally better than 2020. So I guess we're hopefully headed in the right direction. As long as we're <laughs> heading in the right direction, we can live it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're now signing off. Andy and John talk telecom.